Okay, we are going to go ahead and get started. Before we do, I just want to formally introduce our speaker for tonight, Naveen Matthew. Naveen, if you just wouldn't mind, I know you're going to be up here in just a moment, but this is Naveen and his wife, uh, Miriam, and his eldest daughter, Talia. I'm just so thankful to have them. He, they have two other children, a son that graduated from high school yesterday, and then how old is your 15. And so it is a pleasure to have Naveen speaking for us on this topic. I, when I first moved up into the area, I had, cannot even remember the circumstances of how we met, um, but started talking with Naveen and as in that conversation he was sharing with me things that they were beginning and trying to do with their kids and then I began to just hear other tidbits and things you know whether online or in person things that he was sharing and there was a lot of wisdom there and he is a very thoughtful man who has tried to be deliberate in his approach not only with his kids but with himself and how technology the role that it plays in our lives this is something that we as Christians need to think of because what we are called to do is subject everything in our lives to the word of God and to think it through. And the medium is not an empty thing. The medium, as the saying is, is often the message itself. The medium shapes the message and how we receive things uh, that has an effect on us. And so, you know, we live in, a, in an age that I mean, 20 years ago, most of us couldn't even conceive of. It was the stuff of science fiction movies. When they would, when Dick Tracy would start talking to people on his, on his wristwatch, right? And everyone just thought, that's, that's insane. And then they came out with the Apple Watch. And that's what people do now. We look things up. And, and it's clear that technology is changing us and changing our world in ways that we're still learning about. And so I am thankful for the wisdom that the Lord has given Naveen, and he'll be the first to admit that he is a parent still working on doing things well and wise. Um, but I know that the Lord has given him mercy in this. And so I, as a parent with young kids, uh, have in talking with him about what they're going to be sharing tonight, we were given fresh ideas to torture our children with. And um, I hope it will be of use to you, whether you have kids or not. How can you discipline your mind to the glory of God and discipline what's in our pocket, what's sitting on our, our kitchen tables at home? But before he comes to speak, I'd like us to begin with a word of prayer, and then Naveen, just come on up. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace and your Christ to us, and grace and mercy to us in Christ. Father, we do thank you for the technology and the time in which we are living. It has made access to so many wonderful things available in ways that we could never have devised. And yet, O oh Lord, it has brought with it the potential for so much harm. I pray that you will teach us wisdom that we may, as we mature and grow older and grow wiser, that we may use it in a way that glorifies your name. Give us grace today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Naveen. Thank you, Kendall. 
good evening, everyone. Um, once again, my name is Naveen Matthew. Uh, so biographically, my wife Miriam and I, we are from India. I, we came as graduate students, uh, finished uh, from Temple University. So I've been here for about 29 years. Um, and if the Lord allows, I'll live the rest of my life here, but I will still have my Indian accent. So if any of you have any problems uh, understanding, I'll try to be as uh, careful as possible. Um, we have three children, Talia, uh, Nathaniel, and uh, Sanaya. Talia is in college, and uh, Nathaniel, as Kendall said, uh, just graduated from high school. Um, so I mentioned the fact that we are from India uh, because most Indians are recognized to be techies. I'm the exception. And the topic is technology and the family. So I just want you to know that uh, it's not out of expertise, but I'm in this particular topic, what I'm an expert is in my family, <laughs> nothing else. And I think my wife and my daughter will be here to keep me uh, straight, uh, even when I speak about that. So anyway. Uh, in 2011, so 11 years ago, a young mother put up a video on YouTube. And I'm going to show that video to you now. It essentially has um, a little baby who plays with an iPad, which was just recently introduced, and then checks out magazines. Okay. And this particular video has gotten over 5 million views. And uh, on YouTube, if you have a million or more views, that's the top 0.33% of all videos. There are about, as of January of this year, there are about 800 million uh, videos on YouTube. So this has 5 million views, so it's probably in the top 0.1% or 0.2% of all videos on YouTube. So if you don't mind just playing that first video. So it finishes with the mother saying, Steve Jobs has coded the OS for my daughter. So um, if you don't mind going to the next uh, slide, so you will see that um, what we're talking with regards to technology today has to do with social media. So we are talking about face, uh, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Twitter, so on and so forth. That's the part of technology that we're going to uh, be talking about primarily. Okay. So at the beginning of this year, what this shows, this particular graph shows, is that Facebook has close to 3 billion users followed by YouTube, two and a half billion or so. So that's about 40% of the planet's population uses Facebook. Twitter uh, is the very last, um, at the very bottom. It's about 436 million users. And that doesn't mean that it's not uh, as popular or anything. In fact, it is, as you very well know, Twitter is extremely um, vulnerable to being used in and has a huge impact, um, way more than many is which are mentioned there. So I just wanted to let you know, big picture, what does technology and the number of users across the world look like? I, I didn't 
up here, but there is another slide on which are the countries with the most uh, users. And then I decided to take it off because it essentially follows the uh, population of the world. China is the number one, India is number two, then the United States, so on and so forth. You know, so virtually. So in that sense, uh, even the developing countries of the world have caught up with re regards to their um, users of social media. Next one, please. In the Atlantic magazine, Jonathan Hyde, who's a social psychologist, had an article which said, The Dark Psychology of Social Networks. Okay, now Jonathan Hyde is, a, is of a Jewish heritage, and he's an atheist. He is perhaps one of the most uh, famous social psychologists in the world. Um, I would call him a noble pagan. Okay? Um, while he's an atheist, he's... Um, He's very sober when it comes to the beneficial effects of religion. And he's written some really good books, which I would recommend. I would heartily recommend him as a person that all Christians should read. Like I said, he's a noble pagan. And in this particular article, he starts off by saying, you know, let's just pretend that the biblical creation story is correct. And that God created the uh, universe in six days. And then he says, you know, with all the physical constants and everything, all the right physics, he did, he did that. And then he got bored. And so, sometime early in the 21st century, he decided to double the gravitational constant. The gravitational constant is a number which, ca which when multiplied with the um, um, masses of two objects, it essentially tells you, uh, the uh, gravitational force of attraction between two bodies, okay? So between the sun and uh, the earth, or any given bodies. So that's what the gravitational constant is. And he says, let's pretend that God decided to uh, double the gravitational constant. What do you think will happen? He said, we will be pulled to the ground, buildings will be torn down, and the sun and the earth will come way closer to each other, so we will be in a much hotter habitable zone and therefore life will be destroyed okay and he gives this as a, a word picture for us to say so after that first paragraph he says now something like that is what happened in the early years of the 21st century when to our democracy when there was a sudden uh, leap in Technology. So if you don't mind going to the next slide, I'm going to read. What would happen to American democracy if a technology appeared that changed several fundamental parameters of social and political life? What if this technology greatly increased the amount of mutual animosity and the speed at which outrage spread? Might we witness the political equivalent of buildings collapsing, birds falling from the sky, and the earth moving closer to the sun. So he is indicating that something happened which is the equivalent of this in technology, what happened to our democracy. So um, if you don't mind going to... So another word picture, like he did, was given by Amanda Ripley. Now, if you know Malcolm Gladwell, he's a very famous writer, writes very interesting books. Uh, Amanda Ripley, in some sense, uh, is, in my esteem at least, uh, 
a female Malcolm Gladwell. And in this particular book, again, which I highly recommend, called uh, High Conflict, Why We Get Trapped and How We Get Out, she gives uh, another word picture as to what has happened. So that particular word picture is uh, the La Brea Tar Pits. Now, if you haven't heard of this, in the Miracle Mile district of Los Angeles, okay, just very close to uh, Hollywood itself, are the La Brea Tar Pits. And they have a museum there, and they've actually found it about uh, 110 odd years ago. And this is a huge tar pit of natural asphalt, gurgling, bubbling natural asphalt. And what they found, this is the last ice age, so probably uh, 10 to 12,000 years ago, at least it's been there. What they found here are 3 million bones, okay? And of those, uh, they have full skeletons of mammoths. There are slots. There are about 1,000 uh, saber-toothed tigers, 4,000 dire wolves, um, they are extinct wolves as of now. How is it? How is it possible that so many animals, three million bones and skeletons, are in these tar pits? And what the researchers uh, conjecture is that uh, perhaps a large bison got into this tar pit and got stuck. At point in its uh, frustration, it was making noises, and that uh, attracted other predators, perhaps the dire wolves, got stuck, and then the ma uh, mammoths, the saber-toothed tigers, and over time, all these animals got some prey and predator got stuck in these tar pits. And that is picture that Amanda Ripley uses to say is what is happening to our democracy now. That we as a culture, we have got into this high conflict and we are unable to get out. And more and more people are being sucked in. So, so um, at this point, we're like, okay, Tell me more. Okay, how does it correspond to us? And Abigail Schreier is, uh, you will actually see that I quote quite a few, not just non-Christians, non-believers, um, atheists. Okay? She's of Jewish heritage, a very good uh, a writer, a, a journalist, and I would strongly recommend all of you to get, especially if you have daughters. We Christians sh uh, should not think that we are immune. We are by no means immune to what the culture uh, goes through. So she, in this particular book called Irreversible Damage, talks specifically about what um, has been happening with the transgender movement. Okay? And what she says is, uh, sometime from 2005 on, something's been going on in our culture. Uh, and you see teen depression rates have gone up 37%. Contemplation of suicide by 25%. Among teens, self-harm, 62%. And among pre-teens, 189%. Okay? And 
Okay, what does this have to do with our topic? So if you don't mind going to the next slide, please. When she talked to Jonathan Hyde, and she said, what's happening? His one, a two-word answer was social media. It is because of social media. Now, the iPhone was introduced around 2006, 2007. And by 2012, 50% of the teen population had uh, iPhones or smartphones, if not just iPhones or, or smartphones, okay? So he said it is social media that has been causing this. And he quotes Jean Twenge. Jean Twenge is another social uh, psychologist. And what she says is the twin rise of the smartphone and social media. So this was another article written in The Atlantic uh, in 2017. She says, the twin rise of the smartphone and the social media has caused an ache of a magnitude we have not seen in a very long time, if ever. There is compelling evidence that the devices we have placed in young people's hands are having profound effects on their lives and making them seriously unhappy. And I just gave you very few of the statistics um, two slides back. So if you don't mind going forward. Um, one of the things that all of us have, um, and this is a term called sociometer, and Mark Leary, who is a Duke University psychologist, and he said all of us have this sociometer. It is an internal mental gauge how other people are perceiving us moment by moment. And he says, with the advent of social media, that sociometer is now available to all because of likes, the number of friends. So if I put out something on Facebook and I get 20 likes, and you put something out and you get 200 likes, okay? How many friends do you have? I have, okay, really I think I have 1,000 friends. If you have 3,000 friends, Okay, and the number of followers, the retweets of something on Twitter that I put out. Uh, it, now everyone gets to understand the social media, how much, what I was thinking before. Now I'd be like, oh, I have only 20 uh, likes to a particular post. I'm not particular po particularly popular. And especially if I see that across... 10 or 20 such posts, and you have 200 or more likes. It's like, oh, so-and-so is far more popular than I. So this is having a huge effect on people, especially on teenagers. Okay? So let, I'm going to give you two uh, examples. Please go ahead. I'll give you two examples. Okay? And the first one has to do with anorexia nervosa, which you, you probably know is a mental disorder where especially girls think that they are really fat, okay, and therefore they uh, virtually starve themselves. Now, how does social media uh, contribute to this? So what happens is the first thing that social media does is they coach these um, girls who are going through anorexia and they tell them how to behave and one of the things that they say is they say you know what you are in trying to lose weight you are striving for perfection so they give it a positive spin 
to a terrible disorder, mental disorder. And says, you are striving for perfection. So, you know, even if, you, if you're very thin, let's say, uh, 100, and, 100 pounds, and you think you look like you're 200, oh, you still, you have a lot, to, lot more weight to lose because you are striving for perfection. So there is a goal of perfection, and that's what the others don't understand you. Okay, and then the groups on social media train you how to um, get over your parents' uh, inhibitions. So they say, okay, this is how you trick your parents. So, well, first one one thing that you would do is take an apple, cut it into eight pieces, eat one piece every two hours, okay, and you'll feel full with that one piece. And guess what? You've eaten an apple a day. And then they say, to trick your parents, what you should do is, um, when your parents go out, take a bowl of cereal um, and milk, any normal food that you eat, but let's pretend it's a bowl of cereal and milk, and then put it in the uh, garbage disposal, and put that bowl in uh, the kitchen sink, so that when your parents come, they think that Ah, okay, my daughter has uh, eaten a bowl of cereal, so she's getting her enough uh, uh, food intake for that particular day. So the social media groups for anorexia, they coach each other and tell them how to go about striving for perfection. The second example I want to give you, uh, please go forward, has to do with transgenderism. So this is again another uh, example where natal girls, by which you mean um, anyone who's born as a girl, uh, they talk of, they encourage each other and they talk of improvement as they take testosterone. And, you know, just like men, most of us men have, you know, a heavy trail down your abdomen. They encourage, oh, this is awesome. When you take the testosterone and after a certain time, when you get that hairy trail on your abdomen, there is great rush and thrill. And they, those who have done this before, they coach and train others to do it. Okay, all this is on social media. And then they teach them how to, what to say and how to say it when they go and talk to the uh, doctors to get you know, especially the skeptical clinicians who are like, I'm not sure I should be giving this child anything. And the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the DSM, DSM-5 was released in um, 2013. It is, um, it is the manual of um, uh, mental disorders, okay? And they coach them and tell them exactly what you should say. So that when you talk to others, and especially your doctors, you, you should say, um, you know, these are the things that I always knew that I was different. Okay, that I, if I'm a boy, well, I was, I'm actually a girl. And they coach them exactly how to say and what to say. Okay, so I just gave you two examples to show how social media is having terrible effects. I mean, you can talk, I, I'm not going into any of the politics or political discussions I think most of us may be familiar with. So um, the next thing I want to say is that he, Chris Weatherill, is one of the engineers who created the retweet button for Twitter. And what he said is that in a particular article, he said, we might have just handed a four-year-old 
a loaded weapon. Just the retweet button, because previously, before the retweet button on Twitter, now I'm not a Twitter user, but I do know what a retweet button is. You know, we had to copy. If uh, Kendall, for example, had uh, posted something and put it on my page and so on, but right now it's very easy with one click of a button, I'm able to retweet it. And therefore, any person can uh, a message can spread like wildfire. It's like the gravitational constant doubling suddenly. Okay, And so what that means is the mutual animosity which it uh, talked about, suddenly the opportunity for grave uh, animus between people just went up uh, through the roof geometrically. Next slide, please. So we limit how much technology our kids use at home. Uh, and we banned uh, phones for children, uh, for our children until they were 14, because we want them to uh, smell, stop and smell the roses. Actually, uh, I'm sorry, that's not us. It's what Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs is the one who said we limit technology for our kids at home. And um, uh, Bill Gates was the one who banned mobile phones for children, for his children, until they were 14. His oldest is now 26 or so, so his oldest did not get uh, a phone, a mobile phone, till 2010, okay? And the smartphone was on, uh, in the market for four years, four or five years by then. And in a, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook has a very, uh, have uh, young children, so he, in a letter, wrote um, an open letter, said, you know, our children, we are going to have them stop and smell the roses so that uh, um, they will not get access to social media or technology. Okay, so the very people who have given us the technology that are in many ways, and clearly technology is morally neutral. It's how we use it, right? But what I'm saying, and what the psychologists who've been studying this is saying is that something has dramatically has gone wrong with our culture because of this. And they are the ones saying, we will not use it. These are some of the companies, uh, tech companies of Silicon Valley. All of them, uh, this I got, this particular slide I got from a particular school. So if you don't mind uh, going, before I mention the school, um, Susan Hobbs uh, works for another Silicon Valley firm called Cloudfare, and she completely banned her daughter from using social media. In fact, she took the app store off she, so that she cannot download any particular app. She just took it off. And her daughter, at the age of 14 or so, had to present a PowerPoint presentation to her to show her that she is uh, mentally mature. And at that point, she said, okay, I will allow you to have it. Next slide, please. Um, Chris Anderson is the founder of Geek Dad, and he's an um, editor at Wired Magazine. He said between crack cocaine and candy, social media is more like crack cocaine. And um, Athena uh, Chavaria is the uh, executive assistant for uh, Mark Zuckerberg. And she uh, sees, you know, the, I'm convinced that the devil lives in our phones and is wreaking havoc on our children. So the next slide, please. A particular article would say, Silicon Valley ex execs are banning their children from using the devices they created. In fact, not just that, 
obviously they have tons of money, so they all have nannies for their children. Not they all, most of them have nannies. And in their nanny contracts, they say there are two things that they say. One, should make sure that when you are taking care of our children, our children are not using smartphones or any technology. Not only that, two, you should not be using technology in front of our children. That's a lot of commitment from the people who are creating good technology for the rest of us, right? But they seem to be having some inside info on the effects that it can have, and therefore they are protecting their children from this. Next slide, please. So this is a school. The world of school of the peninsula is a school, you can't see that there on top. This year, it's $50,000 a year for a child, okay? And this is a school which is based near Google's Mountain View campus. This is where they send, their, many of them send their children. So relatively small, very exclusive school. And this, I'm just going to read what it says here. The world of school of the peninsula is small, exclusive, and packed with children of Silicon Valley executives who love the role that technology plays in the pupils' education there. That is... It plays no role whatsoever. Instead, children at the elementary school in Los Altos, California, are learning to explore the world through physical experiences and tasks that are designed to nurture their imagination, problem-solving, and ability and collaborative skills. So this school, exclusive school where the Silicon Valley execs send their kids, they are focusing on the fact that technology plays no role and therefore this is the school that you should send your kids to. And it's because they believe that before seventh grade, technology can hamper their ability to develop strong bodies, healthy habits, flexible and agile minds. Next slide, please. So, at this point, I'm stopping and I'm going to change to how Miriam and I have been applying technology. What's our philosophy? but I have a caveat uh, to share uh, at this point. Um, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul the Apostle uh, has a very uh, um, good verse. He says, I am the least of the apostles, okay, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. And 1 Corinthians uh, was written, the, that particular letter was around 53, 54 AD. Give me a minute, I'm coming to my point here. So, about six, seven years later, Paul writes to the Ephesians. And in the letter to the Ephesians, he says, I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. Okay? So, six, seven years later, the man has matured. He has grown older, and he says, first he said, I'm the least of all apostles, okay? But seven years later, he's saying, I'm not just the least of all Lord's apostles, I'm the least of all the Lord's people. Among believers, I'm the least, okay? Because as he's grown to know the Lord more, and he sees his own wretchedness, he comes to know his own wretchedness, he's like, not just the apostles, I'm worse 
Iraj is the least of all believers. And then in 1 Timothy, two or three years later, he says, Christ saves sinners of whom I'm the worst. Okay, so not am I, I'm not just the least among the apostles, you know, I'm not even the least among uh, the believers, I'm actually the worst chief amongst us. I am the chief. So anything I have to say about uh, the rest of what I did and what we're doing as a family, I am fully aware that we are not there. We, we can screw up. I personally can screw up. But I just want to say that uh, we are stumbling along, but for the grace of God, we wouldn't be where we are and uh, we wouldn't reach home uh, except for his grace. So that is just the caveat that I wanted to say. So the first thing that I want to say, please go to the next slide, is that what we did and what we do as a family, what Miriam and I do with our kids, is when they were growing up, my kids are now 20, 17, and 15, okay? Uh, we had no electronics during the week. On Friday evenings when they came back from school, is when I say no electronics, I mean no TV, nothing. It was just... Uh, books and so they would come running back uh, from uh, on Friday evenings and that's when they would get till uh, Sunday evenings they could uh, watch whatever shows they want on TV as long as they um, did their homework as well others they'd be in trouble um, and every week for one hour I would choose a video that the whole family had to see they had no choice in the matter. My children mostly hated it. Miriam tolerated it. Okay? Uh, so I am being very vulnerable here. I'm not saying I did it right. Okay? This is how I did it. And I have some certain strong convictions. I said, I'm going to overrule. And this is what I'm going to do. So every uh, Sunday, a video and we watched it for about an hour. So one example was and you, I'm sorry you can't see it, it was called Empire by Neil Ferguson who is a brilliant uh, British American uh, historian and atheist again and my, uh, one of my philosophies is that you in my house, you are going to get as many non-Christian thinkers um, being presented their books and videos because as long as Miriam and I are there, we want to introduce our kids to what the world has to say. Um, because if not, the moment they go to college, they'll be suddenly open to various uh, things that they did not realize. So we have a term called boxing with grandma. And we say we don't box with grandma. With grandma literally uh, means, you know, suppose I picked, up on, on my, picked on my grandma and boxed her, I, I could easily beat her, right? But that's no great shakes for me to beat my uh, grandma. And intellectually, what that correlates to is you can take a position of your opponent, the weakest position of your opponent's argument, okay, be it in evolution or whatever else, and then beat that argument down and tell your children, see, this is what, that, I don't know why people believe in evolution. And then they go to college and they come across the strongest arguments presented by the proponents of materialistic evolution, atheistic evolution. And your kids will go, oh, I didn't know this. 
and the ground on which they stand will very likely be shaken. And that's why there's about 70% uh, of Christian kids who lose their faith in college. We don't want that to happen. We want to give a fighting chance to our children to stick to their faith because it's the truth, okay? And which means I'm going to present them with as much of what the world presents and engage them in their thoughts. Uh, so that is once a week. On a daily basis, we have a family prayer time. Now, if you do this, you know what a difficult situation it is, especially when you have young kids, even older kids, you know. And, you know, what I do in this particular case, Miriam and I, we just overrule and say, we're going to do this. Okay, but having said that, um, we have to try and make it as uh, interesting as possible. And so what we do is, on a daily basis, we watch a video, a Christian video. Now, it's prayer time, so it's not any video. And, for example, this particular clip that I've shown is from David Barton, who's a Christian historian, about the Founding Fathers. So we watch for about 10 minutes, then we read the Bible and pray. Before we pray, we figure out what are the prayer requests uh, among all of us and among our friends. Um, so a little bit more detail. So over the years, what this is a smattering of some of the videos that we watch. Most of them. So Neil Ferguson on civilization, Simon Sharma, uh, then The Beauty of Diagrams by Marcus Dusatoy, The King James Bible by um, Baron Melvin Bragg. They're all atheists. Okay? But what they do is, uh, they're very good videos. The subject matter is really good that all of us can learn from. If you ask my kids now, they probably don't remember most of this. Okay? Uh, and they were very frustrated when we were going through this. I think there are some that they liked, like Simon Sharma's Power of Art. Uh, I know Talia liked it. Uh, my point is, it's not a bed of roses to do this. I'm just telling you what we did. So we had a whole spectrum of different videos that I would pick and then we would watch. The next slide, please. Daily family prayer. This is, um, these are some of the things that we've watched um, in pursuit of Paul uh, by Con Campbell, um, Joe Stoll on the seven churches of Revelation. My kids did not like that at all. Uh, Foundations of Freedom by David Barton and the American Heritage Series, again by David Barton. Most of us found it fascinating, and I would strongly uh, recommend that. Uh, one of the things that they really hate that we're going through right now is Ray Vandalon on That the World May Know. I think he's great, and I just overrule them and say, no, we're going to watch this. Ten minutes a day. We're going to watch it. This is ridiculous. Can we... Uh, they know who I'm, uh, who I'm partial to. They said, we would like to see an RC Sproul video. I, like, oh, I was like, okay. I will allow you to, uh, let's watch our RC Sproul video. And I said, okay, what do you want to see? And it touches my heart here that they said they want to see on Tulip and on Limited Atonement. On the video on Limited Atonement, I was like, all right. And they all paid attention to Limited Atonement by RC Sproul. So I think we've got something right over the years of torture that I have uh, put them through. Uh, next one, please. For five years, I put my family through summer book reports. So yesterday 
was the first day of summer for my son. Next week, next Saturday is the first week of summer for uh, my youngest. And what I do for every summer, and the next few slides are just going to be what I did every year for summer book reports. Okay, and there's a reason um, whether you like it or not. There's a reason uh, that I'm going to go through those. So what the book reports meant was that um, I would give them, uh, as you will see, three books in general for each kid. And by the end of June, I needed the first book report. It was minimum of one page per chapter. And if I didn't get the book report by June 30th, July there was no electronic privileges. And they actually challenged me on that. And suddenly by July 4th they'd realize three days of summer vacation without electronics withdrawal symptoms for them. So then the July book report begins, which I need by the end of July, and then the August book report. So you don't mind going to the next uh, slide. So Talia in 2014 was 12 years old, and I began with two books. Um, since you, if you can see, one is called In the Likeness of God, which is actually a compilation of three books by one of my heroes, uh, Paul Brand, co-written with Philip Yancey. Paul Brand was um, a missionary doctor, British missionary doctor who was born and raised in India, working with uh, leprosy patients. And he's got three amazing books called Fully and Wonderfully Made, In His Image, and uh, Pain, The Gift That Nobody Wants. And this is a combination of all three books. Remarkable book. So that and Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis was uh, Talia's first um, summer book report season. So the other two, so I was just trial, this was trial for Talia of the first year. So please go to the next slide, 2015. Now all three kids, and I just, I'll be giving you a reference of what my kids' ages were, just so that you understand. So Talia got three books on the good life. So what I would do is, one book would be a theology book. Another book would be um, history or philosophy. And a third book would be a science book. And like I've mentioned before, it would be uh, very likely by an atheist or from a non-Christian perspective. Okay? And um, some were classics. So Nathaniel got the three Theban plays, Greek classics. More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell was his Christian book as well as George Mueller, the biography of George Mueller. Sanaa was only eight years old at that point, so she just got one book, uh, In My Father's Vineyard. Okay, the next slide, please. In 2016, Talia had, uh, do you mind going back one? So I, I, there's a point to make here. Talia's book in the center, the largest book uh, in the center, is called The Book That Made Your World. And Talia decided to challenge me that year and said she's not going to finish that book. So come end of August, she did not finish that book. And so it was like, okay, you're not getting your electronic privileges through the uh, school year. And next slide, please. And so what happened was, so you're thinking, this guy is uh, Torquemada. 
torturing his kids. It may be. There's some, probably some truths to that. There has to be consistency. What will we do? There has to be consistency. And Sanaya got, one of the books she got was Screw Tape, Screw Tape Letters. And she, uh, you know, tapped out quickly and she said, I don't understand what's going on here uh, in C.S. Lewis's Screw Tape Letters. So I would be ironing, and I hope, well, I don't hope, but I expect you to learn only about 10% of any of these books, okay? But what I'm trying to train you is to bench above your intellectual weight category, okay? So with screw tape letters, this is crazy. Uh, I don't understand anything of what C.S. Lewis is writing. So she would read out to me, and while I'm ironing my clothes, I would explain to her. And what happened was in the very next school year, she had screw tape letters, and she's like, this is a breeze. She had forgotten that she had done this, uh, you know, that probably shows how much she hated it. But she came and said, this is a breeze. I can understand everything. And most of what we do, the dividends are going to be paid out much later, is one of the points that I want to make. We have to be consistent in what we do and let them know we are on their side. So we can't just say, okay, these are the books, go ahead and read it. But rather, when they have doubts, they should be able to come and talk to us. And like, So one of the books was uh, Sunflowers that Nathaniel uh, had. It's either this year or the next, but in this particular, it was by Simon Wiesenthal on uh, the Nazis. And he couldn't understand anything. So I would lay, lie down with him before he goes to sleep and explain. Uh, if you go to the next slide, you will see that Nathaniel, not just in summer book reports, in school he had this book by Eusebius, um, and he was, and Eusebius is a Christian historian who was talking, and theologian who was talking about how the Christians were eat, being eaten by the lions. And he, I managed to get this photo, and he's like, I get it, Christians died for their faith, bada bing, bada boom. He was like, I'm done with this. You know, so it is grueling. They don't like it, but this is school reading. This is not my reading. Okay? But my point is hopefully sometime in the future. Uh, they will look back and see that there is some uh, to the end of the tunnel. Next slide, please. So the last year that I eventually said, okay, I'm done with this myself, was in 2018 um, when I gave, Talia was going to 12th grade, so I gave her only one book on grand strategy. Uh, they, Sanaa always liked R.C. Sproul, so I kept giving her different R.C. Sproul books. She would ask for that. Um, as well as John Piper books, uh, too. So those were some of the things that we did as summer book reports. So when I finished in 2019, I said, I'm done. I, um, after five years, I was like, because even Miriam and I, and I will tell you, the, unless the father and mother are on the same page, it's going to be very difficult. Now, Miriam is, as a mother, far more merciful uh, as a parent than uh, I am. So one of the key things is that the father and mother have to be on the same page on the punishment. And there are times, are you kidding? She'll be like, are you kidding me? What are you doing to these? Strangely, they came to me and they said they would like books to read. And I said, I'm not demanding a book report. And they said, that's okay. And so I gave them books and they started reading. Now I'm I took so much to talk about summer book reports, and it's an entirely different thing to try and light a candle or light.
and she took uh, an abortion. She's, uh, I wasn't planning to show this, but I thought uh, it would end uh, appropriately. She said she wants to reach her generation with a pro-life message. So at the all through summer, she wrote down 12 episodes of five-minute videos for the pro-life position. And I'm going to show you, the next slide is uh, one of her videos, which is about five minutes long. But what she did was, so she would address that these are the various, uh, she's as of now got 16 videos. Um, she put three videos together for that particular summer. And what she said is, I am going to steal man, my opponents, the pro-choice view as much as possible on a given aspect of the abortion debate. I'm going to give, by steel man, it means to make it as strong as possible. I'm going to steel man my op op opponent's view as much as possible. And then I'm going to take my pro-life view and answer those questions. And that's what she did with all of her videos. And she says, I'm not looking for a million views or anything of that sort. If I can put one stone in someone's shoe, I think I've done my job for my generation. So if you don't mind going and playing the next video, she was 14 when she did this. Her channel is called Think It Through. Hey everyone, today I'm going to steal man the pro-choice statement that pro-lifers shouldn't impose their beliefs on everyone and then respond to it in my pro-life views. Basically, should abortion be made illegal because then women wouldn't be able to have an abortion? First of all, why can't you deal with your own problems? You're living the life of a woman with an unwanted pregnancy and you shouldn't make her decisions for her. It's good that we live in a society where you can choose to carry your baby and another person can choose to abort it. We should be able to make our own choices and it's not fair for pro-lifers to impose their beliefs on us. We need abortion legal so that it's left as a choice. In the Amazonian rainforest, a man named Tom Greger worked with the Mehinaku people a culturally sanctioned punishment for young girls and women there who engage in adulterous relationships is gang rape. This is where a bunch of men would come together and rape that girl. Gregor reported that when he was there, a girl was accused of having sex with another young man, and the men of the village were preparing to rape her. Gregor had to come to a decision. This was a tradition in their culture, and he needed to be sensitive to that as he was not part of that culture. But where do we draw that line? At what point do we step in and say, no, that's horrible, you can't do that to her? What should he have done? Fortunately, the girl remained unharmed because of another situation, but should he not have interfered and allowed their culture to execute these traditions of raping her? Well, no, gang rape is horrible and a young woman doesn't deserve it for sleeping with another man outside of marital relations. So apply the same logic to the topic in this video. Think it through. If abortion is indeed murder, shouldn't a person step in and say, you cannot do that. I don't care if it's part of your belief, that's wrong, and here is why. Just like Tom Gregor should have stopped that gang rape. Or should we just sit back and allow abortions, and therefore also allow gang rapes? 
Many pro-choice people say we need to keep abortion legal so that whoever can choose to keep or carry their baby. But you first need to establish one thing before you argue that. We are debating about the fetus and whether it should die or not. Because if you do believe that it's a person, you'd be arguing that we should all have the choice to kill a person. If you don't think it's a person, check out the link above. We shouldn't have the choice to kill a fetus just as we don't have the choice to steal. If we voluntarily steal, we are sent to jail because our legal system states it as wrong. Yeah, the law is imposing the belief on you that stealing is wrong, especially if you don't agree. But it's a law made to preserve the order and protect the lives in this country. And we also intrinsically know abortion is wrong. Some people lack the mens rea of the murder and abortion. That basically means some people lack the knowledge that killing a fetus is murder and therefore wrong because society portrays it as right. If you understand that a fetus is a person and you still think that everyone should have the choice to abort their child, you're condoning unpunished murder. My pro-choice side said that it's also good that we live in a society where I can choose to carry my child and you can choose to abort it. Then why can't I also argue we should all live in a society where I'm allowed to choose to abuse my spouse and you can choose to not abuse your spouse? Why can't I argue that you shouldn't impose your belief of not abusing your spouse on me? I can believe abuse is fine and you shouldn't interfere with that. Mind your own business with, and deal with your own spouse. The same logic is applied to this scenario. You shouldn't impose your belief of not killing a fetus on me. I believe it's fine, so mind your own business. The pro-life party is trying to do the same thing the law does with abuse. We're trying to protect the innocent party from an injustice. But remember, this argument would be useless to you if you don't believe the fetus is a life and you should probably figure that out before you even go out and entertain this argument. Our laws are set to protect us and whoever is innocent. So when you come to the conclusion that a fetus is a person and killing a person is wrong, you should also say that therefore abortion should be illegal. Thanks for listening guys, and I know I talked about the fetus being a life a lot, so if you're curious about that, check these videos right here. Please leave a comment below with a question or if you'd like to challenge my thoughts. If you like this video, subscribe, like, and hit the notification bell to support my channel. Thanks. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, brother. You've given us a lot to consider. Now, whether you have kids or not, um, that practice of saying, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read, I'm going to de deliberately expose myself to ideas, uh, that I have not come in contact with. I'm going to try to work to develop. Most importantly of all, it's the scriptures coming back again and again to the scriptures. You know, sanctify them by your truth. Thy word is truth. And as we disciple ourselves by the word and we wrestle with the things of this world, our goal is to present ourselves and if we are parents, those under our care to the Lord so that he may use them. One of my favorite texts, especially as I was coming into the role of a father, um, is found in the Psalms, where the Psalm, psalmist compares uh, children to the arrows of a mighty man. And, you know, says, says blessed is the man who has his quiver full of them. And the arrows are meant to be released 
They are meant to be shot. And, and someday, you know, you want to release that arrow and let it fly straight and true. And uh, the guys who have helped with center shot know that straight arrows are a, a great help. I'm not an archer, but I know that crooked arrows aren't very helpful. Dull arrows are meaningless. And what we have as parents is the role, the obligation, the best of our ability to shape those arrows, to straighten them, to make them fit in the hand of the Lord to be used in whatever he desires. And so I have some resources to give away, of course, and then we'll pray. Um, But thank you so very much. And if you would like them, you can see me afterwards. Uh, The first one is by Gregory L. Jantz. He's a PhD. Ten tips for parenting the smartphone generation. He says, if you are, if your kids are young, getting older, and you're considering buying them a, a phone, this will give you some helpful tips. Uh, here are some excellent ones for both, well, for us, no matter what age we are. Uh, the question is, obsessed with your phone, disconnecting to connect. Um, and this is a little counseling resource by William P. Smith. I'd encourage you, watch your time this week, every day. How much time are you on your phone? If you leave your phone somewhere, what happens to you? Like, notice that. Um, feel the panic set in. And see if you are obsessed with your phone. Uh, when to get my kid an iPhone? And I think the answer is never. But uh, you can, there's a little book for that. Um, the TechWise Family by Andy Crouch. This is an excellent resource filled with helpful wisdom uh, from a Christian perspective on how to help our families, uh, particularly children in this tech society. His daughter, when she went off to college, uh, during those years she wrote this book alongside her family, I'm sorry, her father, uh, My TechWise Life, Growing Up and Making Wise choice, making Choices in a World of devi- Devices. And so, My TechWise Family, My TechWise Life. And then last, this is a newer book, and it is much thicker, you can see, but it is entitled God, Technology, and the Christian Life by Tony Reiki. And this is more about us, not just about our kids, but about us and how we relate to the technology society. We have all of these, I believe, in the library. So if you are not one of the first ones to get to me to receive it, that's okay. Uh, There will be opportunities later. Thank you, brother. Let's go ahead and pray and ask for the Lord's mercy on us. Father in heaven, thank you for the wisdom that you have given to the Matthew family. I praise you for... uh, the way we were challenged tonight. Lord, I pray that you will help us to take seriously the time in which we are living, that we will ourselves grow in understanding how the media that we consume is in very many ways consuming us, shaping us, changing us. And not only ourselves, but those around us, our entire society and world. Give us wisdom that we might walk before you in faithfulness in this time in which you have planted us. We may have wished, O Lord, that you would put us in a different time, but you have chosen these days, this hour. Give us grace, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.